On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking about Kojiko. And why are we talking about a local or area or regional cable carrier? Well, because there's a bid out there to take over, split it up, sell half of it back to Rogers. And if you are a Kojiko subscriber, what would that mean to you? If you were a Rogers subscriber, what does that mean to you? What does it mean anyway when we have fewer carriers in this country? We'll talk about that. Also, we're going to be chatting about the Grey Cup. And not the cup itself, but the CFL is now selling the chance to get your name engraved on a new base for the Grey Cup. Is this a good idea? We'll talk about it all. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Some of you who are listening right now probably have a TV package or an internet package or a home phone package. We'll leave it there for now because maybe sell, but that's really not the issue right now. Uh, but any of those things with Kojiko, it's a big company. Lots of people are connected with them. Um, turns out, and I didn't realize this, your carrier is really quite popular because there's an American company now that apparently is ready to, or is trying to stage a hostile takeover bid of Kojiko for $10.3 billion. billion. The story goes that if they are able to take control of the company, they will then turn around and sell Kojiko's Canadian holdings to Rogers for $4.5 billion. And so then if you are a Kojiko customer, you will now be a Rogers customer unless you would were to change. But what would that do to people here? We don't have a whole lot of telecommunication services, cable services, that kind of thing. You start wiping out one of them. What does it do to the competition? What does it do to your rates, to what you're going to pay? One of our favorite guests to have on here, we haven't had him in a while. I don't know what's been going on. He's sort of been hiding away, but we've we've managed to connect with him. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. How are you this evening? I'm just fine, thank you. Excellent. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Um, First thing, I had absolutely no idea that Kojiko was this big a company that someone would value it at $10.3 billion. Somehow I always thought it was sort of one of the smaller local area, regional carriers. Clearly that's clearly I've missed the boat here completely. Yeah. Well, you'll be forgiven for that. Uh, there's a couple of aspects to this first, uh, Kojiko is regional, but it is very big in the two biggest markets in Canada. That's Ontario and Quebec. In fact, Kajiko's head office is in Montreal, and it is a very big deal in Quebec. And that, in a minute, we'll explain why Rogers has an interest in this. But it's more than just a Canadian company. Uh, I think, again, the average person doesn't know that uh, Kajiko owns a, a, a cable outlets in 11 northeastern United States. So places like Maine and New Hampshire and Vermont, those sorts of places. Um, it even has an internet or had an international footprint. It owned cable distribution in Portugal, of all places, which it sold a couple of years ago. So it is a bigger deal than I think people realize. Is it worth $10.3 billion? Well, before the offer came in yesterday, the answer was no. We thought it was more like a, oh, let's call it a $7 billion company, maybe an $8 billion company. But along comes this American company called Altice. And you're going to say, who the hell is Altice? And again, up until yesterday, I had no idea who Altice was, but it's the fourth largest cable provider in the United States. So it's not Verizon. It's not right at the very top of the list, but it is also a big player where, let me think, oh, yeah, the northeastern United States. So Altice comes along and says, we'd like to really 
really doubled down on this northeastern United States, whose assets might we buy? And they came up with this rather clever idea, we'll buy Kajiko, but we don't want its Canadian operations. We'll pay $10.3 billion for it. Uh, let's see if we can find somebody who'd be interested in the Canadian operations. And along comes Rogers. Now, there's a name you do know. And they said, we'll cover about half the cost of it, $4.9 billion, to take those Canadian assets off your hand. And why is Rogers interested in this? Rogers' empire is almost coast-to-coast, but they have a big hole. Let me think, where do they have a big hole? Quebec. So suddenly they could get a foothold in Quebec, something they've longed for for a very long time. All right, so let's go. Let's let's play along because right now the people who control Kojiko have said we're not interested in this. I don't know whether they really aren't or if they're just driving a hard bargain and maybe can squeeze a billion or so extra out of the people and on you go. But nonetheless, let's say that this were to happen. Let's say they were to at some point accept this bid. We don't have, as I said when I brought you in, Marvin, we don't have that many cable, internet, whatever providers in this country. You remove one of those. Is that not a recipe just to drive up prices because competition goes down? Well, I'm going to answer your question, but let me just go back to where you started again. Uh, Who owns Kajiko? It's a publicly traded company, but two-thirds of the stock is owned by a family, and that's not that unusual. You think of the Rogers family with Rogers and so on and so forth. This family is called the Audette family, A-U-D-E-T. Again, you'd never heard of them before. They kept a really good low profile. And when this hostile takeover bid was announced yesterday, their first response was, no way, we're not interested, take your offer and leave. Even though the offer was a 30% premium over the stock price and was a cash offer, meaning you sell me your shares and I'm going to give you a great big bucket of cash, they said, no, thank you. Now, is that reason for saying no? Well, we may sell it to you if you give us 50% premium or 60%. I don't know. Uh, maybe they just don't want to see Rogers get the asset. It could be something personal. Now, to your question, because we have in communications what's known as an oligopoly, a small number of large companies who control communications, this is a regulated industry. And the nice people who do that are called the CRTC, the Canadian Radio Telecommunication Commission. And so they determine how much we pay for communications in Canada. If, I'm, if I buy this company and suddenly want to raise the rates for cable to the subscribers, I've got to apply to the CRTC. I've got to explain why I want to do this. And then the CRTC has to approve it. And I don't necessarily think they're going to want to approve something immediately because of the takeover. However, however, why do I'm interested in takeover? It's the other side of the ledger. It's not about getting more revenue from you and I, but it is about reducing costs. And if I put two sets of operations together, guess what? You're going to see layoffs. You're going to see terminations. 500, 600, 1,000 people will lose their job, and you'll reduce the cost side of the equation. Still helps your bottom line and your profit, but it isn't because I get more revenue. It's because I'm going to squeeze out costs. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Marvin, even as you explain, though, and very well, by the way, why you're a great teacher, uh, even as you explain the the rules the CRTC has and how you couldn't just, if you're Rogers, drive the prices through the roof, there is always the possibility anyway that the more companies you have the greater opportunity for a price war for a um, a competition to try and get people for a sale for something else even those things would seem to be less likely then 
Right. No, you're absolutely correct. Uh, again, I'm just going to take you back to that comment you made just before the break about if somebody came to you with $10.3 billion, you'd take the briefcase of cash and run. Well, you might do that, Scott, but let's pretend that this is truly what it is, a hostile offer. There was no approach from Altice before yesterday. This has just come out of the blue. Your first reaction might be, well, if they want this for $10.3 billion, I wonder if there's anybody else who might want this. So your reaction might be to say, all right, I, if, if I, you want me to think about selling it, hey, um, uh, tell us, do you want to put in a bid, Bell? Are you interested in putting in a bid? And that could still happen over the weeks ahead, or also Altice. You were happy at 30%. Would you like to buy it for 40% more? It's a bit like you've got that trading card, that unique trading card, and I come along and say, I'll give you $100,000 for it. You might think, well, if I wait a little bit, I might get a little bit more. So we don't know what's motivating the odd debt family. Now, to go back to your point, though, when you lose a competitor, you, you, you reduce the number of people who make up the oligopoly. Certainly, it's one less chance of you having any kind of a price war. And there are many, many Canadians who have been salivating, absolutely salivating, at the prospect of an American communication company like a Verizon coming into the market, but coming into Canada with the whole purpose of disrupting the market. We want to appear and we want to shake things up, so we're going to sell you a cell phone for 20 bucks a month, or we're going to offer you a cable package at $25 a month, and boy, let's see how they react at that point. We generally speaking feel that in Canada, because of the oligopoly, we pay too much for our communication services, whether it's cable, whether it's internet, whether it's cell phones. Uh, and we would dearly love to have that. So losing a player, it doesn't mean the rates are going to go up, but the odds of a bit of a price war certainly do go down. You say we feel like we pay too much. Do we? I mean, it, we, we, we obviously, everybody complains about it all the time, but when yeah. you look at how these prices are set, are we paying too much? Well, it's, it's hard to make the comparison. Canada geographically is the second largest country in the world, but we have truly a teeny tiny population. Now, if, if we only had to provide internet services or telecom services, Toronto, densely populated Toronto, uh, yeah, we're paying too much for service in Toronto, but basically the people in Toronto, by paying more, are helping to make sure that we can get signals into northern Canada, into northern Ontario, the less dense populated areas in Saskatchewan. It's different than the United States. The United States is a smaller country with 10 times the population. So uh, could they be lower? Yes, when you make certain comparisons. Well, look at all we're paying. But we also have these things we have to overcome. And I should note as well, to try to get things like cell phone signals and communication signals in that area more than 500 miles north of the American border where the population really does start to get sparse, we have to use expensive things like satellites and microwave relays. They're not as simple as the cell phone towers that we have in southern Ontario or the southern parts of Canada. So I'm a bit circumspect about it. Yeah, I'd love to pay less too. And we can always find that one lovely country that's got things just great. But there are disadvantages to Canada, much like the city of Hamilton. We have this lovely thing called an escarpment that runs through the middle of our city. And I think we all love that green stripe that runs through, but you pay for that because you've got to have streets and other things maintained that don't add to the tax base. The other thing I think that may be of some concern to some people is because we have so few carriers around here that for some people, um, they may have right now a choice in some places of Rogers or Kojiko. I don't know, lots of places you make it Bell or Kojiko or Rogers or Bell or whatever, but yep. there may be people who have that choice now. 
that choice for some people then would be completely gone. You would have no choice if you want internet except to take a certain carrier. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, and that would certainly be a concern of the CRTC to approve this. So let's just go back again. Altice makes this bid yesterday. There would be actually two different groups of people who would have to approve it. The first would be the federal government, and this is always called the Invest in Canada Act. Is it in Canada's best interest to see this asset being sold? And I think initially, if I said I want to sell a Canadian communications firm to an American firm, there would be great concern. But the fact that they've announced that they would flip these assets back to a Canadian company, that would probably make the federal government less worried about this takeover. Now, the other side is the CRTC, and they would have to take a look and say, you know, what is the competition like? And if, for instance, there would be swaths of the country that would only have Kajiko, take it or leave it, that's the only person you've got in that area, they might approve it, but they would say subject to you also giving access to Bell in that area or TELUS or Shaw in that area to make sure some competition remained. So even though Altice didn't put that into their bid, it might be a condition or of the approval put on by the CRTC. Marvin Ryder from the Negroot School of Business. Always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing it today. Glad to be with you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in our good buddy. He just finished doing the news. I think he went home. I think he probably had um, a pita pocket or pizza pocket or something. Had a quick nap. Now he's back on the air. Rick Zamperin. How are you, Rick? Welcome back. It's been a while. Hey, Scott. Uh, tuna melts for the record. And, tuna melts. Uh, Excellent. Yeah, di- digesting as we speak. So there you go. Let me bring, uh, I want to talk to you about this thing. And some people heard about this the other day. I've been meaning to get to it. And again, there's just been so many things going on. The Canadian Football League is announcing, now everyone knows that the season has been canceled and things are rough and there's all kinds of concern for the league and everything else. Anyway, in the midst of this, the CFL announces that they've got this great new opportunity for you as a fan, you being anyone listening, not just Rick Zamperin, although you are a fan. The Grey Cup from now on, is going to be sitting apparently on this new base that is called the fan base. Very clever play on words. And you can get your name engraved onto the fan base. Let me read what the CFL website says. Fans can have their name inscribed forever on a permanent new base, a beautiful 48 inch high tribute to CFL fans crafted from Canadian maple and aluminum upon which the iconic gray cup trophy will be placed at all public appearances. And Rick, you can get this for the incredible low price if you're a season ticket holder of $349. If you're not a season ticket holder, $399, your name can be etched into this fan base. At that price, I don't even know if it's possible for you not to do it. Will you be doing it, Rick? Will you be signing up to spend that money to get your name etched into the fan base? I will not. Um, And it's not to say because I'm not a big-time CFL fan, because I love the league, I love the players in the league. And I kind of like this idea. However, there's a big but here, and it's the timing of this. Because while I am 100% confident that the league rests on the shoulders of its fans, because without the fans, there would be no league, uh, because we as fans pay the salaries. We as fans really are the economic engine of the ownership groups. Without the fans, again, there would be no league. Um, So I like the idea of, you know, honoring the fans in this way, having their names inscribed on a permanent base in which, you know, the pinnacle of Canadian football sits when it's not being hoisted by, you know, the championship winning team. The but in all this, and it's back to the time, you know, the Canadian Football League cancels its season 
Uh, we know that layoffs are occurring around the league. We know that players are hurting financially. So the the dollar point, the price point on this, as you mentioned, $349 for a season ticket holder, $399 for a non-season ticket holder. And I, I'm not sure how many names this base can hold, but it sounds like, you know, being 48 inches high, probably a heck of a lot of names. Well, especially when you see, sorry, when you see the picture of it, it's not just a, a, you know, a rectangle. There's all kinds of different pieces, which means there's all kinds of different sides, which means there's more than four 48 inch long areas. I mean, there's room for lots of names is the point of that. Yes. Uh, but here is the point. Here's the butt in all this is, you know, now you're asking, you've just canceled your season. Now you're asking fans to dip into their wallets, dip into their purses, dip into their bank accounts, because you know, as a league, they have not paid a cent to attend the game this year. Let's go after the fans for them to pay for this, you know, amazing uh, lifelong tribute to them. Uh, and we can, you know, line our pockets during this, you know, incredibly tough time as we enter our off season. The timing of it is absolutely atrocious. It would have been way better if at the start of the season, hey, you know, we're celebrating, uh, you know, the Grey Cup in a unique way. This is your opportunity to get your name on this Grey Cup base. Whether the price point is the same or not, I think is regardless. I think the timing of this just stinks. Well, look, I mean, I, I, I get that it must be desperate times financially for the league. And so you're looking for creative ideas to try and find ways to bring in money. So, you know, I mean, I'm going to cut slack there because I, I, I mean, they've laid people off. It's, it's very clear. These are very difficult times and this is, you know, it's a, whether you agree with it or disagree with it or like it or not, it's a creative way to do this. But I am sure Rick, that there are some tickets, some season tickets in the CFL that you could get for $350, a single season ticket. There's got to be somewhere in the league. So you're asking people to pay the amount of attending every game for a season, give or take, to have your name etched in this aluminum thing. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, and, from, and again, I like the idea. I think the premise of it, you know, to honor the fans, is a cool idea. It's a neat idea. I know, you know, many fans have already you know, dipped into their bank accounts to, to do this. And, and some are doing it for family members who've been season ticket holders for decades, uh, which is pretty cool. But, you know, it, it, it's, as I said, the timing isn't, isn't great. Uh, I know that players are going to benefit from this as well, which is, you know, if you're a fan, you want to help out the players. You know, this is a league where, you know, you get to see the players a lot more often than they do in the NFL or any other sport, really. It's a really community-based kind of league where the, the players are kind of intertwined in community events and going to schools and whatnot. And I know other leagues kind of do that, but I think the CFL does it a better, uh, does a better job of it than any other league out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're basically asking fans to, instead of attending nine games this year, get your name on this great cup base. And, and really there's only going to be one of these bases. So if it's on display in BC, and you're an Ottawa Red Blacks fan living in the capital and have paid $399 to get your name on that, you're not going to see it unless it comes to your city. And yeah, it'll come to your city at probably at least once a year, if not two times. But it's not a thing that you can bring a family member to or bring a buddy to to say, hey, you got to see this thing. Oh, wait a minute. It's in Regina right now. We can't see it. Um, so unless they create nine of them or 10 of them, wishful thinking, 
for the Atlantic franchise to come in, because I understand there's 10 pillars on this base to represent the nine teams and the would-be team in Atlantic Canada. Um, yeah, you, you might miss it if it's not in your community. And you've shelled out a few hundred dollars to get your name on it. Let me let me say once again that I, I understand the, the these are difficult times, and I understand the CFL is looking for creative ways, and I'm not going to blast them for looking for a creative way to try and find some money to help ease through this. I, I, again, that that's not what I'm doing here because it's it's these are tough times. There's absolutely no question. My only besides the price point, which I think is high, but again, I understand what they're doing. My issue with this is a philosophical puritanical, if you want to call it that point. And that is this, I am a traditionalist. I am a purist in the sense that I am a firm believer that the only way you should be getting your name engraved on or anywhere close to the championship trophy is if you win it. If they had found some other way to do this, okay. But somehow to me, it seems almost sacrilegious that your name is being etched on something that is going to be touching or next to, or part of, or connected to the championship trophy. To me, that is the area where the players and the guys who have bashed their bodies to bits to win get to live, not me. Yeah, I, I would agree with that too. And I know the CFL has kind of staged this as, you know, the, the players are standing on the shoulders of fans and, you know, this base is made up of fans' names. But I think each team could have capitalized this on uh, themselves. You know, let's just say that uh, the, the Tiger Cats, for example, could have charged fans $99, and for that price, you're going to get your name inscribed on whatever, the, the goal line, the steps leading up to your section, your seat, uh, whatever the case is, uh, the, the, the field goal posts, and it, it may have made a lot more money for that particular franchise. I understand what the league's doing. Uh, as you mentioned, yes, very tough times. The players and the league are going to benefit from this. Uh, but I agree with you as well. I mean, it's those players and coaches, support staff, trainers, assistants, coordinators who've slugged it out, not necessarily for one year, because, hey, let's not forget the Ticats haven't won it since 99. And, you know, up until that point, there's a lot of coaches that have never won a great cup. Some have won multiple great cups. Um, it's that much more special when you do win. But uh, to, to have that fans on a you know permanent display is a neat idea but I, I i'd be interested to hear from you know some of the veterans of this league they'll probably say yeah it's a great idea but yeah the great cup should only be used to uh, you know honor those who have actually won the championship i go back to and i've talked about this before um the stanley cup there are unwritten rules we talked about unwritten rules a while back there are unwritten rules around the stanley cup and one unwritten rule though it is strictly adhered to and when i say strictly adhered to like phil pritchard the guy with the white gloves from burlington the hall of fame guy who carries the cup out to the center ice at the end of the finals every year to present it he'll tell you this if you have not won the stanley cup you are not permitted to raise the Stanley Cup overhead. That is something you just are not, you can sip out of it, you can hold it, you can pose with it, you can take a picture with it. Don't try and pick it up and raise it over your head. That is only for the players. Even the players apparently can't tell, hey, dad, pick it up and lift it over your head. That's not allowed. Hmm. The player himself. Now, there are pictures you will see where a player is standing and it's being held over his whole family and he's got one end and his brothers, but that's the player lifting it. And that's his choice. You and I, if we go to the hall of fame and they let you touch it, you can't pick it up and hold it overhead. 
that to me is a beautiful tradition because it makes it so that we can see the cup, we can touch the cup, we can examine the cup, but there's something special that only the players who battled for it get to do. And and again, to me, that also goes to the names. And th- this is just to me a little too close. And some people, again, Rick, are going to say, relax, get over yourself. It's just a name on a stand. I, I get it. But having been up close to seeing athletes at this level, I understand what they go through to win it. And I don't think that I should be nudging my way into their world. Yeah, good point. The other thing I thought about, too, was the price point. Like, did, did the league price out a number of its fans or, or would-be people who would be interested to do this? Like, 400 bucks. I'm, I'm assuming GST or HST is on top of that. Um, you know, that's a lot of money for an individual or even a family because, hey, we're all going through this pandemic stuff as well uh, at this time of the year. And, yes, I know fans set aside money for season tickets and merchandise and whatnot. But still, I think if that price point was a little bit lower and yes i understand that you know there's a cost to inscribe all these names but i think if it was 200 bucks half the price you'd probably get a ton more people involved we'll see i mean we'll we'll see if it was overpriced because uh, i think if we suddenly see a deal on this i i i mean if rick what happens if they bring this fan base out and there's not many names on it. It looks awful. I mean, at some point, if it's overpriced, they're going to have to do something to try and get more names on it because you can't bring it out with 100 names on it. But that's the difficulty, too. I mean, if you had 100 names on it and it's, you know, late October 2021, a full CFL season's in the books, uh, Grey Cup is in Hamilton, and it's the Tie Cats and the Stamps for all the marbles, and there's 100 names on this, there's no way the league could say, all right, we're having a hundred dollar kind of uh, bargain on getting your name inscribed on this base. Everyone who paid 400 bucks would be at the CFL set office saying, Hey, I want my money back. Uh, yeah. That'd be a terrible look. Well, we'll make the new one smaller. You're in, you're in three point <laughs> font, just bring an electron microscope to find your name. <laughs> or if there's only a hundred, you just make the font bigger. So it looks really full. Yeah. Each name, it has, each name has a hyphen and goes over two layers. Um, let me change tack very quickly to another topic that I wanted to ask you about today. Um, Steve Nash, great Canadian basketball player, two-time NBA MVP announced today as the new coach, of the Brooklyn Nets, no coaching experience whatsoever. This has led to a number of people, including Stephen A. Smith on ESPN and a number of others saying, this is only because Steve Nash is a white guy that he can possibly get this kind of job without any experience. Is that a fair criticism or does a two-time MVP who is known as one of the more cerebral players of his era, is he a worthy head coaching selection no matter what he is? Well, I'll say this, you know, Stephen A. Smith is an entertainer. Uh, you know, sometimes he has some amazing things to say and sometimes, sometimes he's way off. I think in this regard, He's way off. Yes, Steve Nash happens to be white, but so what? He is a two-time MVP. He is a multiple all-star. He is one of the greatest uh, uh, players of his generation, regardless of color or regardless of which country he was born in. Um, I liken this almost to uh, Wayne Gretzky and the Arizona Coyotes, or I guess it would have been the Phoenix Coyotes at the time. You know, an individual who was obviously one of the best players ever, uh, becoming a first-time head coach. And a lot of people kind of looked at that and thought, yeah, I don't know if it's going to work out. And at the end of the day, uh, when you look at the statistics, it really didn't work out. But the fact of the matter is he has knowledge and he has obviously experience in various scenarios on how to make his 
team better? And why can't he do that from a coaching perspective? I look at Steve Nash. Why can't he do that from a coaching perspective? Yes, he hasn't had a coaching gig at the NCAA level or uh, the U Sports level uh, or at the NBA level, even, even as an assistant. But it doesn't necessarily make you um, a non-contender. Uh, yeah, there's black assistants who've been assistants for years and years and years. And maybe they can get a phone call from the Brooklyn Nets to say, hey, are you interested or we're interested in bringing you in for an interview? I don't think we should look at Steve Nash's skin color um, to say whether he is, uh, you know, uh, eligible for this job or not. He's a basketball uh, connoisseur who had a phenomenal career, and I think he he is as apt to do this job as a rookie head coach than any other would-be rookie head coach in the NBA. Yeah, and and interesting enough that uh, there are reports that one of the reasons that he is here is because in recent years he has worked closely with Kevin Durant, who is now a Brooklyn net. And and the, one of the stories that's out there is that Kevin Durant was the guy who pulled a LeBron here and basically told the ownership who he wants as his coach. And, you know, if you're a superstar that you lured there as a free agent and he is the guy who gets to pull the string and says, who's going to be the guy, I guess you listen to him. And I guess Steve Nash comes in. Yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt that for a minute. I mean, the, the ownership group, the general manager of the Brooklyn Nets would have undoubtedly asked Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving for that fact to say, hey, who should we go after? Uh, it's no different than if Bill Belichick retired uh, last year and Tom Brady was still with the Patriots, Robert Kraft would have went to Brady to say, hey, who should we bring in? But those superstar players, because of what they've achieved on the field or on the court or on the ice, they have that clout and they have that input uh, when it comes to those types of decisions. Rick Zamperin from 900CHML. Always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this tonight. You got it. Anytime. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.